back in the church basement. Excellent. Good. <laughs> it was eight degrees this morning when I woke up. Ooh la la, baby. That's crazy. Yeah. Snow on the way? Yeah. Well, there's snow on the ground, which is nice. normal. It kind of snows a little bit all the time, but there hasn't been like the big like three feet thing yet. And I don't think that that's happening this weekend. I think we'll probably get like six inches or something. I don't know. Eh, whatever. Yeah. It is better when there's snow, though, for sure. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, it's beautiful. I guess that's true. And I, my car is right now at the mechanic getting my winter, winter tires put on. There you go. There you go. So you're ready. Essential things. Yes. 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 So do you have whiskey? Okay. <laughs> you have a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> I just threw this whole damn thing in my bag. <laughs> All right. It's going to be a good session. I have um, good old Four Roses, the Kate and John's house well. <laughs> exactly. You know what? I'm still working through mine. So that's what I have. I have the, uh, I have the single barrel. I have that good old small batch. Mm, yeah, I like that. Well, cheers. So you had a couple of examples, John, of service-based businesses that operate in totally different ways that I think are interesting that came to you, I think both via me. <laughs> yes, they were both relationships from you. You were like, yeah. why are all your people having a hard time <laughs> with getting paid? And I was like, it's not me. Right. I didn't structure those contracts for them. <laughs> So the issue is this, um, these are sort of like fact patterns that we might use to talk about because I don't know, they're pretty common to me and so uh, they, and they happen. Yeah. So, so both of these, both of these are very small business. So single owner businesses, one is a, one is a services business, you know, so it's like pretty straight up consulting. You know, I, I talk to you and tell you things and you pay me for my expertise. And the other is more of a, deliverable based service you know whatever it is that they actually produce you know there's sort of a statement of work that says here's the scope and here's what you are going to deliver uh, to us for the price the first one raised the issue didn't actually have this problem like on their plate at the moment but had experienced issues with you're already smiling because you know. Uh, <laughs> but had, had experienced yeah. the, well, uh, I yes. just I always have some affection for the like the anxious. Yeah, the anxious. <laughs> like, well, I this was pro, like, let's call it let's call it proactive, right? Because okay. that's because, very kind of you. <laughs> yes, because you know, she had had this experience um and and wanted to see what she could change in her contract. Yeah. Um, to change things going forward, which, you know, I you you and I know that there's going to be some limitations to that, and that'll be a fun thing to talk about. But the issue there was, you know, client signs up for you know a block of time that it happens over whatever period, let's say six months, um, yep. and then you know decides partway through that they don't want to continue and don't pay. Oh, and in the first context. Because this may also play into what we're talking about, um, the value of the claim or the value of the you know the the contract that issue small, like between five and ten thousand dollars, right? Yeah. 
still meaningful for a solo business, but but small, it's like small small claims court levels. It's small claims court yeah. levels, right? You're not engaging a lawyer to pursue that yeah. um, problem, unless you're ex- extremely wealthy and vengeful. Vengeful, probably more than anything, because yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> The other one um, is more, let's say, in the $50,000 range. So again, mm-hmm. more meaningful for a small business and also you know, a number that could make sense to spend some money to pursue. And in that one, there was a real situation where you know, they had a contract and the client decided they didn't want to pursue it and pay. So, you know, the thing that I loved um, was I, I told you that I had had these things and I was thinking, hey, this might be a good idea for us to talk about. And your reaction, which I love, was, oh, I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. You're always trying to get that reaction out of me. <laughs> I do. I do love. I do love that reaction I, uh, from you. I have to say, that's yeah, totally true to the deal. Yeah. Well, I like these two examples because I think I don't think it's important that they're solo people. I think this could also be a business with teams, and it doesn't really matter. But I like it because there's a lot of things that it has in common in terms of like essentially service businesses and how you structure payments and contracts might be somewhat similar. But I do think the payment for expertise versus payment for deliverable of, you know, creative service or video or website or something like that have different payment details and issues, in my opinion. So I want to talk through those. But I think we should talk about the legal stuff first, because that's what they were coming to you about. It is. It is. Let's talk about the legal stuff. Um, The first question comes to me, what should my contract say to make it so that I, you know, the client has to pay me, right? And I, you know, I went through her contract. It already says that the client has to pay her. You know, it, it's a contract with a term. It doesn't have a termination provision. Um, there's no out, and it and it even says if you don't use all the service that you're purchasing for the period of time, you still owe the money. Like it's very clear. So that's yeah. one. You know, the other one said similar things. You know, when you're in the middle of it, like where um, that second scenario where, you know, there was the contract, there were deliverables that were being issued or made, the contract can be can be clear on its face, but there are things that you will always hear. Like, oh, I didn't like the service you did or the product you created. It wasn't, it wasn't like it didn't meet the standards in the contract, whether that's a good argument or not. You know, so there's there is sometimes gray or facts that get thrown back. But I think these contracts tend to be pretty clear already or can be. Like the legal stuff is not that complicated. I think for purposes of our discussion, we should just assume that, you know, they're entitled to payment, period. You know? Yeah. 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 Because because they are. What if you don't have a contract? Well, that's always a question, right? Because then it's a question of what was the meeting of the minds over what was supposed to be delivered and, you know, what was to be paid for, yeah. right? You probably still do have a contract based on, you know, oral understanding or maybe emails or right. other things that transpired and even if you don't have a written contract. 
So we're going to assume. Let's just assume. Yes. And somewhere in the contract, <laughs> it says that they have to pay you and that you can't cancel services. Right. I think that's especially for the, let's say, the expertise person. Yes. Um, that, you know, you're committing to the, the relationship as it's termed. Um, you know, I think there's some folks like websites, stuff like that, where you might have some kind of kill fee or mm -hmm. partial payments and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. that's a whole other issue. We're going to assume that you have us all in writing. I think our first point after we kind of like, you know, after we get the, here's what your contract can do thing out of the way. And this feels sort of obvious to state, but maybe it's not, which is that we're really just talking about relationship issues. And, you know, ultimately vetting your clients well and doing all the things you would do to make sure you have a positive relationship are going to be like the main thing you want to do to get paid. But the thing I had a lot of opinions about was the ways you can kind of structure and approach payment and relationship and how, how it all works. And to kind of uh, sidestep, I think, all of the issues that this person was coming to you about and, you know, the fears or maybe they had an experience about this in the past. So money shit's hard. I think one of the biggest learning curves in business is asking people to pay you and both uh, learning to like hold larger numbers. Like a lot of folks undercharge when they start. I did that mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, and I've had various moments over the years of having to kind of like recheck in with myself about that. Mm -hmm. And there is this psychological energetic component of like, am I really worth it? Which I, I don't, I think a lot of us carry that forever. <laughs> so you're I, like, I'm you're like nodding emphatically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we're going to talk about some shit, but also I'm going to frame this, I think, as considerations. Yes. Yes. Um, and honor the fact that like, coming to terms with getting paid, changing how you pay, changing how you ask people to pay you. All of those are sort of processes that involve feelings and yeah. psychology and maybe some therapizing. And Yes. You know, the clients that we're talking about came to me saying, I have this issue. I'm, I, I want to collect this money. Like it was a real thing. And I mean, I think they came to me saying like, I would like a legal analysis of what my rights are under my contract so that yeah. I can think about what legal things. And we kind of blew that off because I was like, well, you know, you're not going legal on this under either of these circumstances, really. But the, but maybe we should take a minute and just say why that's the case. Yeah, I think that's helpful. The language matters. Well, it totally comes down to that. Um, you know, the language matters because the language is going to dictate the strength of your rights. And you should know that. Like, I remember years ago, a circumstance where 
some client got pissed off, quit our services, and didn't agree with our service cancellation policy. And I have a lovely lawyer that has helped me write my contracts. <laughs> um, so we have really clear no refunds under any circumstances once paid, mm-hmm. 30 days notice. Uh, mm-hmm. And this person tried to do a chargeback. And so, you know, after explaining all of this and all of our policies and why, mm-hmm. and yeah, so this person did a chargeback. And so that money got pulled. Stripe, this is all through Stripe. Mm-hmm. Stripe pulled that money out because that's what they mm-hmm. do. And mm-hmm. then it opened a dispute process. I ultimately won that dispute process because I just sent them the contract. And I said, well, this is this is our language. This is their signature yeah. on it. And Stripe was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Give me the money back. So, you know. The, but it's interesting. You had a third-party um, dispute resolution process built in where yes. Stripe was going to be. It didn't cost you money. You didn't have to hire a lawyer or take your own time to pursue right. a claim. And um so one of the scenarios is similar to what you just what what happened to you, although kind of in reverse. You know that you got paid and then the money got taken away. In this one, they had a contract that says that the client has to pay for a package, and it's the language though is very clear that the client doesn't have the right to terminate the agreement, and it had like use it or lose it language. So it was yep. really clear like you owe the money, no matter what. Right, and this is a service business, like coach. This was a, like this coaching, is a coaching, yeah, coaching straight, straight up service business, right? So instead of them paying and then getting their money back, the client was like, "Well, I'm only, I'm not going to pay you the last payment," yeah. you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Even though, like you, the contract in that case was super clear. Yep. So you know, the client came to me and was like, "What are you know what?" can I do under these circumstances? Now, in this case, you know, it was less than a $10,000 dispute. The amount in question was very important to her, but, you know, in the, in the litigation picture, you know, not a, not a big number. Right. And in that case, you know, the, the costs of hiring a lawyer didn't make sense. You know, we talked about whether she wanted to pursue it in small claims court herself, but these are the drivers to say whether as the person who this is happening to, do you, do you go and do that or do you try to just settle it out and move yep. on, yep. right? So in that case, that was what happened. But, you know, in terms of like coming to a lawyer and saying, what are my rights and that kind of, like we went through the analysis, we looked at her contract. She had very strong rights, but even under those circumstances, it's like it was, it was more prudent right. for her to just right. get it done. What you're saying is this sort of weird thing, which is that you can have the most perfectly constructed contracts and there's no magic wand that makes those play out the way you want them to if somebody's been disagreeing with what's laid out in the contract. Exactly. That's very well said. Um, I would also add that even a perfectly drafted contract, when the facts and realities come into play, um, maybe not be as quite as perfectly drafted as you think. What do you mean? Well, I think yours is super tight. I think in the case that the client I was talking about is super tight. Um, but that's not always the case. Like in the, in the other scenario that I'm, that, that came up, uh, which is a little bigger and it wasn't a service, it was a product 
deliverables, right? These happen to be video videos. You know, the language there wasn't as clear. I mean, we thought it was clear. It wasn't as, you know, in the end, it's not clear. And then I'm jumping around a little bit. But the other thing that, that happens in these cases is if you actually raise the payment situation as it with the client, you can almost always expect them to come back and say, well, wait a minute, you didn't do what you said you were going to do, right? There's something wrong with it. I didn't get what I expected out of it. You didn't do enough. Like you didn't meet the terms of the contract. Like even if it's total, totally not true. Yeah. Um, and you and I actually have a situation where we know some people who actually brought a lawsuit against somebody else that we know for claims of payment. Yes, we do. Do you remember the one yes, I'm talking about? Yes, I do know what you're talking about. Yes. And in that scenario, one of the responses was, you guys fucked up and didn't do what you were supposed to do. Yeah. Even though that's not explicitly a defense to yeah. making the payment, it, I think, kind of carried the day in that case. Yeah. In our humble opinions, I believe that was yes. the correct. <laughs> it, it was the it was the it was yeah. the correct thing. You know, it has nothing to do with the payment right. terms right. of the contract. So to me, that's like two things. One is, you know, there's like you can expect that to happen, and the language is clear, but it but the rights end up not being as clear. The other thing is like there's a huge reputational issue right. associated with right. the, with that. If you're known as somebody who sues your clients. I mean, I'm, again, in the situation we're talking about, like, it was very damaging to them. You don't want to be known for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, it's like, how much money are we talking about? Is it worth it? You know, and I think at the end of the day, like, and we'll kind of dive into the meat of our, the considerations that yes. we have to offer yes. about the scenarios you have. But um, there is a little bit of like cost of doing business thing, whereas like, you do this shit long enough, mm. something's going to come up at some point and it's not mm. going to go perfectly. Yeah. And I don't think that always means like, you know, you had a bad client or you fucked up or whatever. I think it's just that shit happens sometimes. There's an the aspect of it that's like, what are your rights? What's the legal recourse? But the other part of it is actually how are you structuring the relationship? And yes. how are you structuring the payment terms to support the kind of relationship you have? And I think that's the part that sometimes gets muddied or can feel kind of confusing, which is like there, there is a like holistic system that you're building. The first thing, the legal part, what are your rights, happens after the fact kind of. Yep. You know, it's like that's like, oh, thank, okay, this didn't work. Now what, what can yep. I do about it? The ass right? covering. Yeah, it's at that point you're in a dispute. Yep. Um, the other part is the proactive stuff. And so, you know, your reaction when I mentioned these things to you, as we've discussed, was like, oh, I have a lot to say about it. And I think it's that part of it that really, you know, yeah. you do. Yeah. Yeah. Cause my take on this, cause obviously I just refer people to you for the legal language. Um, if the legal stuff is to cover your ass, in some sense. I mean, it does, it has other functions, Let's, but is more about after the fact, then the, the question then is like, how do you best structure things? So you, that's not, doesn't become a problem or a thing that you have to think about. Yes. Cause if the relate, if the client fits good, if the relationship goes well, you shouldn't have any of these problems. That's the ideal. 
Let's talk about the expertise advisory coaching first. Sure. I think my main point and sort of take on that, and, and again, consideration, like this can be hard to pull off, but it's something to think about, which is that, you know, one of the things about that kind of relationship of advisement is that you're often exposing yourself to people being really pissed off at you if you're doing your job well. And I'm not saying that happens all the time. Like, I don't actually, I was trying to think about this and I'm like, I don't really tend to make people mad at me, but I risk that often Mm. in the, uh, if I'm doing my job really well, I will risk bringing up the elephant in the room. I will risk saying the thing that the person doesn't want to hear. This thing that you don't really want, you know, you might be avoiding or like you're not seeing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to show it to you with like, fluorescent light bulbs over your head <laughs> you know it's like like in my work that's a big part of what people are paying me for it's like i see things they're not going to see because you know i have worked with so many folks i've done this for a long time and i'm an outside perspective and sometimes that's like let's talk about who you're going to fire or hey why are you avoiding this hard conversation? Or what are you going to do about that? And it's it does take a little bit of like chutzpah and like confrontation. So there is that piece of it. And I think one of the things like with the way that this person you're talking about set up their contract, I understood it, is that the payments were really tied to sessions happening. So there was sort of like month payment sessions, like there was some kind of relationship between the two or like the timing Maybe there was a timing yeah. aspect to it. Yeah. Not explicitly like you do a session, you get yeah. paid, but But that's kind of how they were structuring it. Yeah. This happens uncommonly where like you're starting to get into uncomfortable territory. One of the reactions to that is to bail. Mm. <laughs> like and be like, yeah, right? <laughs> like, fuck, I don't want to know Thanks. about that. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, get me out of here. Um know. and then somebody can be like, wait, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not gonna pay you. You know, and maybe that's honest and they do need to stop or maybe it's what's happening in the moment and like the actual thing is to push through and get to the other side. But what I'm getting at it though is the like I think often my advice and sort of the way that you deal with that structure is to decouple payments and uh, sessions and the deliverable of your time. Mm -hmm. And that can look like getting paid all in advance, like big lump sum. I think that's preferable for all sorts of reasons. Like you're the person's investing in a process with you. They're not uh, rewarding you financially based on whether they like what you told them or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's mm-hmm. what, like that's what you want to get out of for yeah. for both of your sake, because you're not going to be honest if you're worried about that happening, which is that the makes a lot of, of sense. Client. Yeah. And I'll just say from my standpoint, like having the money in hand obviously is the leverage you need if there's a dispute if there's a yeah problem. exactly exactly um i'll just say for the record wanderwell like i don't require 100 percent payment in advance like lump sum there are practitioners out there that do that mm-hmm. and the reason i don't is just accessibility for cash flow planning you know like there's all sorts of reasons that that can be a big pill to swallow at the amounts we're talking about uh, for somebody all at once with the kinds of folks that I work with. Some mm-hmm. people can certainly handle that. Some people don't. Some people just don't want to because it's a lot of money up front. And so I'll do payment plans and stuff like that, but it's generally mostly paid before we're working together and has nothing to do with the timing of sessions or time. Like there, It's very separate from 
our actual work together. So wait, so even if they're paying you over time, you're collecting it before you start? Yep. So for example, like take first payment when you agree to work together. And then the recurring payments are just on that schedule. So maybe every few weeks or every month after that first payment. And that doesn't have anything to do with our start date or when we actually work together. Some of this, what I'm talking about, can feel scary to do because you're worried that the client's going to freak about it and say no. Yeah. There is an aspect of this that's one, like, as you become more, ex, you know, you go along in your expertise, you become more expert in how people work with you. A lot of folks starting out are, I think, a little bit more hesitant or fuzzier or want to, like, really make it work for the client. And that's coming out of a, like, oh, God, what if they don't want to work with me sort of feeling, which is real. It's very real. But but in this scenario, like, after we dealt with the situation, you know, her thing was, well, can we revise my contract? Yeah. And so, you know, my advice was, let's change your payment structure. Yeah. And she was resistant to getting it all up front for that reason. But my, my question is, if their client isn't going to pay you, like, isn't that good to know, like, up front before you get into yeah, this, this absolutely. situation? Absolutely. That fear is really real, real. It comes out of scarcity or precarity or not feeling like you have enough or you're worried about new clients or new business and stuff like that. So some of the solve for that, which, you know, this this is going to sound easier easier said than done, is like get solid in your pipeline and like new business process and strategy and all that stuff. So like you kind of got to solve the like, do I have enough work problems? Ideally, you also become more confident and like grounded in knowing what kind of relationship structure and payment structure will serve everybody best. I remember when I first started and, you know, I would run into this this situation where either, you know, I just had a bad feeling like where fees and costs were like so, just like the main issue about whether they wanted to engage me. Yeah. And I had one or two of those that just I knew it wasn't going to work out yeah. because of that and it didn't. It was so hard because I needed revenue um, to just next time that came up to say I'm not doing that. But then when I did that, it felt so right and so good. Right, you want to talk about deliverables? Yeah, let's talk about deliverables. So this one's like a totally different structure of how things work because you've got stuff that the client ostensibly wants because that's the whole deal. I think what can give you like can give you a, certain, a different type of leverage. Sure, you cannot deliver the website if they don't make the final payment. The shitty part about that is like. By the time you've got the website and they're not paying you, you've already done all the work. Right. And then what happens if the contract language isn't as clear as the scenarios we're talking about? Well, they need, they need to come talk to you, John. 
but sometimes sometimes that's built into the contract. So, yeah. so like the one with the one with the deliverables is a sort of interesting example of that because it was a contract that said, you know, if I do the work on the services that are on the scope of work, you're going to pay me this much money. That's a normal contract, right? Yeah. And then the scope of work says what it's going to be. And the scope of work said for the amount that you're paying, an aggregate amount you're going to get up to a certain number of videos. It didn't say you're going to get X number of videos. It okay. said you're going to get up to a number of videos. Yeah, that's squishy. Right? It's squishy, but it actually we it helped her position because yeah. we took the position that says, well, it's up to. So like however many we delivered, we fulfilled the terms of the contract are entitled to full payment. And just because you decided you want to terminate it or don't need all the ones that you originally thought you were going to need, this up to language cuts in our favor. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. On the other hand, if it had been, if it had just said it like X number of videos, then it would have been harder to, you know, take that position. Even so, you know, that, I mean, I guess this comes back to the point it, that you were making, which is every contract is different. The language is really important. And sometimes, often, even when you will seem to be 100% in the right, yeah, because it doesn't likely happen, it doesn't always work that way. Um, you know, one of the big thoughts I have about deliverable-based work is that usually you need the client's participation in order to complete the deliverable. Like that can be web copy, that can be feedback, that can be mm -hmm. images, that can be like scheduling. I don't know, like if you're mm -hmm. doing video work, uh, mm -hmm. like promo stuff, you usually need like the people that work something, you know, have something to do with the folks that mm -hmm. are hiring the client and bookkeeping works this way too of course like we can't do the work without the client's participation so they can really like railroad the whole process and i know this is something that everybody i've ever worked with that does creative work or deliverables has dealt with where it's like you're like waiting on that goddamn feedback it was due five weeks ago and they mm -hmm. stopped they stopped responding to your emails mm -hmm. and the next invoice is only triggered when that like feedback round is done and so they're like slowing everything down and you're not getting paid. So that's the whole problem. Obviously like cash flow issues, work on hold, scheduling, like there's all sorts of problems with that for sure. Mm -hmm. One of the structures that folks that I've worked with have found that works really well is to have a deliverable or time deadline type of structure because Mostly folks in this world are going to have scopes of work with uh, payments that hit at certain kind of um, timelines or like inflection points in the project. Mm -hmm. So like first, you know, wireframe of website, first draft, final deliverable, and those will be like, you know, different payment marks. Um, if you're only ever doing it based on the deliverable moments, though, it you really risk clients slowing everything down and like payments taking forever and that can wreak havoc on just cash flow and planning and stuff like that. I know a lot of people have done instead that I think works really well is to have like invoice at final delivery or, you know, this date, February 1st, whichever comes mm -hmm. sooner. Mm -hmm. So like if they've completely like, you know, drawn out the process or not giving you feedback you're still going to invoice them because they've committed to that full project. I like that. I've seen that too. That's a good one. 
Another one that I don't know if I've ever seen anybody like enforce this, and I'd be very curious to hear from somebody who does, which is uh, late penalties. Like your feedback is due by Friday. Every day after Friday, you incur a $25 late fee that we're going to invoice you for. Right. I've never seen it structured exactly like that, except in like a uh, like a construction contract, yeah. right? Um, but but I have seen it, and where we've done it, where it's like you know, if the project is on hold, quote yep. unquote, uh, for a certain period of time, there's an additional fee that just is yeah. sort of like the maintenance fee that kicks or in, or like restart, and then a re- and then a restart yep. also because we got to ramp up again. Yep. Yep. We're talking about how do you, like thinking through how relationships actually go. And like noticing the points where clients can slow you down or or mess up the process and building in some safeguards for that so that you're not carrying the problem for them. And I think some of that is like actually to neutralize the decisions they're making. Because I know from working with folks that do this, like website example again, you need feedback or you can't move forward. And when you're both waiting for the invoice and the feedback, and so they're like screwing up multiple levels of your business world, that starts to feel really personal. It creates a lot of like agita, anxiety. And I think one of the like, when you start to structure payments differently so that you're almost kind of laying out the choice very clearly for people. Like I talk about the our work a lot, like, People cannot give us the stuff we need to do their books. That's a valid choice they have. That's fine. And there's certain consequences to it. It's just, and they're not bad. They can be neutral consequences, which is like your books aren't up to date. I think some of this is like, take some of the really frictive points out of the equation so that if somebody really can't get back to you, like you're not suffering more than you should be for that choice that they're making. Because you're really working in partnership with people and you can't control other people, but you can control your own shit. So you structure the contract for honoring what you can control and allowing people to be uncontrollable on their side of the fence. You know, it's like, <laughs> like don't, don't let the stuff that you can't control screw your business up. Right. Although I could see it getting, you know, you could get pushback from the client on that where they'd be like, but wait, you know, I'm going to pay you and you might be sitting on your hands. Yeah, and not that's bad business done. practices and you're going to lose clients and that's going to damage your rep. So like, <laughs> like don't do that. There are, like, <laughs> there are pro- you know, yes, no, I think that's right. But also there's real natural consequences to, to not following through on your side of the deal either. Yeah. Not performing is going to be non-performing. like core ethos that you and I share and like why I love sending people to you and like why we work well together is the neither of us believe in that sort of prescriptive right way 
I think we're very empathic collaborators and really work in, in all facets of our work to like support people in what's going to work best for them and like have empathy for the ways that we can say some shit, but it's not actually that easy to do it at the end of the day for all sorts of reasons. I agree with that completely. I do. Getting comfortable with asking for money is one of the core journeys <laughs> of all entrepreneurship. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Money yeah. and feelings. Those are the things. Yeah. Well, thanks, John. Thank you, Kate. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Thanks for listening to Whiskey Fridays. Whiskey Fridays is a collaboration between my friend and colleague, John Gerber, who you can find at unlawyer.com. And my friend and colleague, Kate Tyson, who's at wanderwellconsulting.com. If this episode resonated with you in any way, we'd love for you to share it with a friend. And if you have any whiskey recommendations, please share those with us as well. Music this week by the one and only friend of the pod, Pete Angevine. <laughs>